This week, I'm in the room with David Murray discussing his new book, Reset. Welcome to In the Room, episode number 62. I'm your host, Ryan Hughley. I'm the senior pastor at Harvest Bible Chapel in Hickory, North Carolina. And I'm your co-host, Scott. <laughs> I was going to give you a segue. You just could not wait. Two I, seconds. I just had I to could take feel it. it coming before it even started. Yeah. I tend to, uh, I tend to sort of... Uh, Insert yourself where you're not wanted? Yeah. And sometimes there's this... <laughs> that was a pretty hurtful thing to say. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even listen. I didn't even listen. I sometimes telegraph when I'm in interrupt. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That was a pretty strong telegraph. All right. So this week we're in the room with David Murray, yep. who um, we've had on before. Yeah. Everything in me wants to be like better friends with David Murray than I actually am. Yeah. He's awesome. He's spectacular. His yeah. books are great. He, his blog, I think is called head hearts hands, something yeah. like that. I can't remember the exact URL, um, but it's always really, really balanced and thoughtful. And He's Scottish. He is. Now, unfortunately, we've already talked about accents. Yep. So we're not going to do that again. But David Murray also mentioned that he had just become a U.S. citizen. He did, yeah. Right? That was awesome. That yeah. is awesome. Uh, it's a weird time to become a U.S. citizen. Yeah. I think you said that at the end of the podcast, yeah. even. Yeah. Because um, I'm thinking about not becoming one. <laughs> okay, great. Maybe I could take his p- place over in <laughs> we'll Scotland. just do a flip-flop. Yeah. Hey, you guys so know David you, Murray? So if you had to <laughs> yeah. assume... Uh, citizenship in another country. Yeah. I can't even really conceive of what circumstances would drive that. Sure. That's not, that's not what makes this fun. No. What would that country be and why? Djibouti. That's not a place. That's a place for sure. Djibouti is a country? <laughs> uh, I believe so. <laughs> no way. It's either a country or a... All right. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to Google <laughs> as we sit here. I'm Can you, you spell Djibouti? J-I... Uh, Booty. Here, you know what? Let's just do, we'll just use the... Country in East Africa. Oh, you don't have to be so smug about it. Okay. But so first of all, that's your pick is Djibouti, Africa. No, it's just an amazing name of a country. How did you know that off the top of your head? I know a lot. First of all, I know a lot of things. (laughs) Uh, Not all of them are useful. That was a very President Trump-ish type of claim. (laughs) I know a lot of things. I know a lot of things, and they're all huge. Yeah, they're uh, all huge. Uh, I don't know. I think because I heard the name of the country, and it's just so f- such an interesting name to me. All right. Well, so that's, back to reality. That's not well, my official answer. Back to answer. the fictitious reality that we're imagining together. Yeah. If you had to assume citizenship another of country, another country, where would it be? I, I'm not going to lie. I was walking in here yeah. thinking about this question, and yeah. the first thing that popped into my head was Hawaii. And then I had to be like, yeah, that's a part of our country, so I hey, can't say news, that. good news, man. Good news. Already you already are, have it. You're already in. Uh, I think uh, New Zealand. Nice pick. Yeah. That's good. I thought of uh, all the terrain that they filmed, Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. It would be great to be like, this is my homeland. Moment of truth. Have you seen the Lord of the Rings? I have. All of them? Yes. Including The Hobbits? Uh, no. Oh. That's called The Hobbit. <laughs> it's not called Lord of the Rings. It's still, it's still part of it. It's, That's it's, I'm not like, even going to waste my time yeah. talking about this with you. Yeah. And, so New Zealand would neither, be neither, neither am I. Yeah, e- equal decision. Because you couldn't. The difference is I could have a conversation about it. You, you could, could not. Hey, let me ask you. Do you think uh, Lord of the Rings is as equally real as Star Wars? No. Well, good. 
Star Wars could have like it was a long time. Ago. I don't know how many times I have to explain <laughs> yeah. this to you. It was a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. We don't know all the galaxies. It could have That's happened. True. Maybe same it's with, a documentary. Same with Lord of the Rings. It actually was filmed like on the planet Earth. So maybe there's a, a, no. See, Star happened. Wars is based in science. And is it? Well, I mean, the Force is a little weird. Watch <laughs> 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 the Force. <laughs> but oh, Lord of the man. Rings is for sure is just there's like you know magic and yeah I don't all think that magic's stuff. real. I mean David Blaine for sure is a real magician. Yeah, and don't he's either the greatest illusionist or the devil or he sold something yeah <laughs> to somebody who's got some real evil friends. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, oh we don't so, need to talk about magic right now. So because you're already a citizen of the <laughs> country that you would choose, the country of Hawaii. <laughs> What would your second choice be? What would my second choice be? I have not traveled extensively, Mm -hmm. as you can probably tell based on my (laughs) geographic skills, Uh, geography skills. Oh, gosh. Um, Where would I? I like the idea of a lot of European countries a lot. Yeah. I've always been really drawn to that. I sort of wanted to be a knight when I was a kid. Sure. You know, that feels very knightish to me. I remember going to medieval times. Which is spectacular uh, still. Yeah, it's amazing. We went to medieval times as a family before we left Chicago, shortly before. Yeah. And um, I was way more into it than a grown man should be invested in a fake fight. Something happens. You realize, like, I'm in the suburbs of Chicago right now. Yeah. But they got the horses. They got the bit like the whole things of sand. They got, they got the nice. I'm eating a chicken with my bare hands. I just walked through this area where they show me all the medieval torture, like primal something. Something transports yeah. you. Yeah. So probably a European country of some kind. Yeah. I like. Uh, I've always wanted to go to Ireland. Yeah. <clears throat> it's a pretty big jump to say I'd like to visit somewhere and then say I'd like to assume citizenship sure. in that place without yeah. being there. Yeah, that's fair. So uh, I'm not really sure. You've yeah. never been to New Zealand, though you have an extensive understanding of it based off of a cinematic the one Lord of the Rings movies that you, Lord of the Rings movie you yeah. saw. In all fairness, watching all the Lord of the Rings movies is like a 10-hour commitment. It is a pretty significant commitment. I remember I saw them all in the theater, and by the third one, I just was like, oh, gosh, are we still talking about this ring? <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> Just give this thing a good chuck, man, and you'll be fine. Uh, Just walk away. (laughs) All right. So I'm not really sure. Probably a European country, and uh, thankfully, I have my options still open in Hawaii. Yeah, thankfully. Yeah, you're already in. All right. So David Murray, he's got a great new book called Reset. The subtitle of his book is Living a Grace-Paced Life in a Burnout Culture. Uh, This is a topic I know he cares about both personally, but he's written about these topics for a very long time. Um, It was really, really helpful to me. I think it'll be helpful not just to pastors, but to um, anyone who reads it. He specifically writes this book to men. Mm -hmm. Um, He's got another one coming out that he wrote with his wife for women, and I'm sure that'll be great as well. But I think it'll be super helpful. So come on in the room for my conversation with David Murray. David, thank you so much for coming back on In the Room. It's been a while since we've had you on, um, but your uh, interview, I've gotten always gotten really great feedback um, on it. Your accent helps, obviously. I know that you know that. I think the content was good, but the accent was exceptional. 
And uh, so we get good news on that. And, uh, That's good. Yeah, but your new book, Reset, Living a Grace-Paced Life in a Burnout Culture, uh, is a book and a topic I'm really passionate about. So I'm excited to talk to you about it. And thanks for coming on again. Thanks, Ryan. I became an American citizen about uh, two or three months ago, and they Did allowed you? me to keep my accent. Well, that thank but goodness we could use more that of that. Part of the deal, you know. That's a, so. Was that a pretty uh, laborious process? It was actually very smooth. Okay, um, good. We started it about a year before, nine months before, and just a lot of form filling, meet, a couple of meetings, yep. but yeah, no drama. It was very straightforward. We had a very moving um, ceremony. Great. Where we, took the pledge yeah. and cast off all my attachments to the old country. Is that an emotional uh, thing for you at all, to make that kind it, of transition? It was, it was actually, but yeah. um, it was emotional in a good way. We felt, we, I mean, we just feel very blessed yeah. is to your, be here. Is your wife from Scotland as well? She is, yeah. Okay. So we all became citizens. My my son, Alan, my oldest son, he's in, in the Marine Corps, so he became a citizen by virtue of being in the Marine Corps. Okay. And then we all decided, well, hey, we might as well, you know, join up. and Yeah. Yeah, very, we feel very blessed, very privileged. Oh, that's great. Well, the uh, I think more, maybe more than ever before, the topic that you discuss with burnout, especially within pastoral culture, I think is so necessary. And so just right off the bat, I'm, I'm, it seems like uh, it's becoming so much more prevalent and, um, you know, I mean, the statistics, we'll talk a little bit about some of them. You write about them extensively in the book, but why do you think this is happening so much more frequently? I mean, is it just that, is it a lack of awareness that we have historically if, you know, for a while people were in ministry and pastors burned out and then they went into something else? Or is this really a newer phenomenon based on where we're at as a culture? It's always been there, but never to this extent. I think all the research shows that, and some of it is showing as much as three, four times as much. Wow. And Actually, it's especially affecting the younger generation. It's not just the, the middle-aged like you and I, Ryan. Yeah. It's, yeah. I don't know. Well, I'll, I'll speak for myself. Yeah. I, don't know. <laughs> I better not accuse you of being middle-aged. but It's totally um, fine. I'll take it. <laughs> I think there are a number of reasons. I think one of them is um, opportunity. There have never been so many opportunities to do so much. Yeah. Um, in terms of travel, in terms of work, in terms of socializing, transport, yeah. mobility, technology. Um, and we're having to, we have so many opportunities presented to us, even every day. Yeah, and most of us are not good at saying no. We, yeah. we, and especially Christians, maybe especially Christian pastors, feel we have to say yes. Yeah, if it's a good thing, we've got to say yes to it. Right. And I think the other thing that's related, connected, is technology has made us available mm -hmm. uh, to a lot more people, uh, a lot more time in the day, so that you know we're not detached from responsibility and obligation. Uh, but always have that, it might not be a dominant sense, but it's always there, it's in the yeah. background, and always on, always connected, always available mindset. So we're really not managing to cut the, the these cords for, you know, an hour or two or even a day a week. Mm -hmm. And I think our bodies are feeling that burnout in, in, it's really literally that, that this at a cellular level in our bodies, the cells are inflamed by stress, 
overwork, lack of rest, and it's manifesting itself. It's burning out, um, outwards in our bodies and affecting us in, in so many ways. And there's just so much to cause that inflammation and mm -hmm. stress today. That's part of the reason yeah. for it. Yeah, it is interesting. I mean, I, I think as a pastor today, uh, there is a sense in which, and maybe I'm the only one, but I don't think so, that you, you do feel this pressure of like, well, if I'm, it's, it's almost like it's not enough just to pastor your church. If mm -hmm. I don't have a blog and I'm not on social media right. and I don't have a podcast and I'm not trying to write a book, <laughs> then I'm like phoning it in. And, <laughs> I and, I, and I do, I do find that to be a, that's just not helpful. Cause that's not no. what, you know, some, some people God has that as a part of their path. And, um, you know, I think sometimes we forget that, you know, when we see, you know, exceptionally large church pastors that might mm -hmm. have that kind of output, that they have an entire team yeah. helping to carry that load. And then you get, you know, a church planter who's trying to do all of those things themselves. And it's just a recipe for disaster. Yeah, and again, I think technology plays a part there in yeah. that it's bringing these pastors and other Christian leaders into our lives yeah. far more than we would have known 15 years ago. Yeah. Uh, but now they're in front of us every single day, and it, it's sort of a multiplying influence. It's not just one that's doing all these things. Here's another that's doing all these right. things and another. And then we try and be not just one of these people, but all of these people oh, yeah. at the one time. That's good, yeah. And it's really dangerous for health in so many ways, not just physically, but mentally, emotionally, and even morally. Yeah, yeah. So um, what is it? I mean, you've always done a lot ever since I've been aware of your work in ministry. You've always done a lot with mental health, um, particularly in ministry. And this new book's all about that. So I'm just curious, what exactly is it that led to this project in particular for you? Is it something personal? Was it just... Crossway called and asked you to do it. Uh, what exactly were the factors that played into this project? I think there are a few things. Obviously, with my work with depression, mental illness, um, it really that's at the end of this, you know, stress, anxiety, burnout, depression, mm -hmm. suicide spectrum. So yeah. it's, it's all on the same line. It's just at a different point in the line. Burnout is usually you know, short of depression, but can often lead to it. Yep. And so, and burnout, depression is very linked to anxiety as well. So I think it's of a piece of one interest, a single interest in that subject, but it's not just academic. For me, it was personal. I did burn out twice. Um, I think first time was 2013. And I, it manifested itself in my life physically mm -hmm. in that I ended up in hospital, to cut a long story short, with blood clots in mm -hmm. my lungs yep. that had spread from my legs, my leg. And I knew enough about blood clots at the time to knew that was a pretty dangerous thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but when the doctor told me not to move a muscle when wow. I was on the bed because I have this life-threatening condition, I really began to realize how close I'd come to death. I think it's something like, 15 to 20% of people die on wow. the spot with, with blood clots. But um, I did learn some lessons and I did make some adjustments. I, I kind of knew instinctively that it was I'd been doing too much for too long um, over too short a space of time with too little rest and refreshment. So I, I made some adjustments, but after a year or two, I think I, I went back to my default 
you know, and you know it's like Ryan. Ministry can be so enjoyable, mm-hmm. and and as I said earlier, it's there's so many possibilities. And I ended up back in hospital yeah. uh, with another set of blood clots in my lungs, this time bigger. And that's when it really hit me that look, you can't just you know do a wee bit of trimming here and there. You've got to deal with this at a fundamental level, at a heart level, at a soul level. Yeah. And it sort of spurred on my research into it, motivated by a desire to stay alive, partly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then, sort of, as I wrote about these things in my blog and explored it, ministers started contacting me and it ended up, you know, as I, I, I mean, they might say I was counseling them. Yeah. I would say we were counseling one another, we were yeah. learning together. And I think some of these pastors, um, spoke to Justin Taylor at Crossway, and he felt, "Hey, this is a message that should get out to a wider public." Yeah, and uh, that's the the end result is this book. Great. Well, at one point in the book, you write, uh, "Go too slow, and we fail by never winning or fulfilling our potential. Go too fast, and we fail by injuring ourselves or running out of energy before the finish line." So that has everything to do with pacing. And so I wonder how long it took you and what were some key factors in you being able to find your quote unquote perfect or mm-hmm. healthy pace. I know it won't be the same for everybody, right. but how long did that take you? Was that trial and error? What did that look like for you? I would say I'm still learning. Yeah. Um, I, I think we all battle really deep defaults in our personalities, characters, habits. So, I know in my head, I think, what my limits are, Mm -hmm. but it's a daily battle to live within them. Now, I'm greatly helped in this by my wife, Shona, and uh, she's actually a medical doctor, so that's got an additional help there, but you don't need to be a doctor to be sensible and just have common sense. Um, So she, she keeps tabs on my sleeping, my taking a day off each week with the family, um, not taking on too many commitments outside, uh, you know, pushing me to exercise. She comes with me and mm-hmm. exercises with me, and uh, so I think your know, marriage is such a key part of this. And I've noticed that in dealing with other men as well, mm-hmm. that if you can get your spouse on board and really that she or he grasps the the core issues, then you know, you're, you're that's half the battle at least. Sure. And then just developing a sensitivity to one's own warning signs, yeah. uh, which probably for me is, especially when I start finding it difficult to sleep or more commonly waking up way too early in the morning and unable to get back to sleep. That's mm-hmm. always a big, hey, something's going wrong here. Yeah. Time to, to look at this more closely. So in the book, I go through a number of warning signs. God speaks to us differently. Yep. You know, for some men, it's more emotional. Some men, it's more moral. Um, But we've just got to learn ourselves. Yeah. So what would you say to, you know, if we have, you know, maybe young ministry leaders who are single, you know, you mentioned the importance of your, that your wife has played in the whole thing. And I would agree that'd be the same thing for me. Would you say though, that, you know, if a man is single, that there's still some level of accountability or partnership with another guy in their life that would be, is that, do you think another person is a really important element to being able to steward and manage this well? I mean, I think we all, I mean, that's something I'm realizing more and more I lacked in my younger life, which uh-huh. was real accountability, mentorship. I did have one man who at times spoke into my life, but 
it wasn't in a sustained way. It wasn't systematic. Yeah. And having said that, you know, when we're younger, we do have greater capacity as well. And it would be wrong for me, you know, as a 51-year-old man to impose on a, on a 20-year-old, even a 30-year-old. I think that's part of the trick in this. It's learning the different seasons of life yep. and adjusting accordingly. However, research is also showing that the patterns, the way we live in our early working life leaves a footprint hmm. on us that we can be reaping um, painful consequences of even decades later. Yeah. And, and some of the connection, especially in the, the heart disease area with you know, how people live in their 20s and 30s is, is pretty convicting. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that's tough. I, I mean, I've got a 21-year-old and a 20-year-old son. You know, <laughs> yeah. It's all very well having the theory, but uh, they ha in some ways we have to learn the painful way. Yeah. Hey, sorry for interrupting the conversation, but I wanted to tell you about uh, a project that I've worked hard on over the last year and I'm very excited about. It's my new book, Eight Hours or Less, Writing Faithful Sermons Faster. Uh, time in our culture is one of our greatest commodities. And one of the biggest time investments for pastors is certainly sermon preparation. Uh, but what if there were a way for you to write better sermons in less time? And that's really my hope and my prayer for my new book, Eight Hours or Less. Uh, it's a step-by-step -step guide for improving your process and being the best steward of time uh, that God's given you. And so if you have not yet had an opportunity and you've been blessed by the podcast, uh, it would be a huge blessing to me if you would uh, run over to Amazon.com or uh, my website, RyanHughley.com, and pick up your copy of Eight Hours or Less. How do you, so, I mean, one of the things that's hard about ministry, I think that one of the things that might perpetuate this in Christians in general is this idea that, I mean, we have a fixed amount of time on this earth. Um, we're in ministry, and so we feel the weight of eternal consequence yep. in what we do. And, yep. and I think that it's so easy as a minister to baptize my pursuit of burnout, really, in, in the idea, but, the, but like, People are depending on this. Yep. People's souls in eternities hang in the balance. So I just need to pour myself out, pour myself out, pour myself out. How do we temper that? And maybe that's tied in to use this phrase, grace-paced life. Mm. So maybe elaborate on that phrase. How do, we, oh, how, yep. do, how, do we, how do we temper that desire to pour ourselves out and to help as many people as we can? I think you really crystallized that tension very well there, Ryan. I'm not advocating at all, you know, feet up. Through, sure, you know, certainly <laughs> not, yeah. Hedonistic kind of life, not at all. Yeah. And, you know, if, if anyone should be a hard worker, it is the Christian, it's the Christian That's pastor. Right. Um, but we do, all of us have a limited amount of fuel. Yep. And we either, you know, put the foot to the floor and we use our fuel rapidly and we've got nothing left by the time we're 40 or else, you know, we do try and pace ourselves a bit better, getting refueled and renewed as we go. Um, I think sometimes some of the examples that are held up for us in the Christian world of mm -hmm. you know, great heroes, heroines of the faith, half the story isn't told us. And, you know, I think one of the classic examples of that is Spurgeon. Yeah. He spent the last third of his life very sick, 
Each year he was spending six months of the year in the south of France recovering from various physical and mental mm-hmm. ailments. Um, and then died so, at like yeah, 55, right? That's and, right, yeah. yeah. A lot of them died young, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I think grace is so important. And first of all, as a motivating mm-hmm. factor, that we're, that we're doing this not... Whatever we do, that we're doing it out of gratitude to God mm-hmm. rather than doing it as a way of pleasing God. Yeah. And that changes us internally. You know, we could be, here's a person who's doing the same thing out of the motive of self-promotion or trying to please God. Here's another person doing it because he's so grateful for grace, so thankful for his salvation the insides of these people look very different. Yeah. And the toll that their work takes on them is very different. I think grace also moderates our expectations of ourselves. We, we realize we're not perfect. We, it, it takes down that high level of perfectionism that we're aiming for. Mm-hmm. Recognizing that nothing we ever do will be as it ought to be. But I can bring all my failed work, all my incomplete work, to the cross every day and find forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And that, that moderates so much about my thinking, my feeling, yeah. my, my acting. I think grace also multiplies our endeavor so that it's not, oh, there's so much work to do, I need to double my hours. It's, oh, there's so much work to do, I need God to water my work. Yeah, that's good. You know, one sows, but God waters and gives the increase. Yeah. And so I think grace makes us recognize our limitations, but also makes us recognize God is unlimited yeah. and, and can multiply our, our loaves and fishes. Yeah. So in, in these ways and other ways too that I explored in the book, grace has a, has a really, I, I think our, our view of grace has been far too narrow. It's been too soteriologically um, narrowed. Right. And one of the aims in my book is to try and show that, that we need to broaden our view of what grace is and how it impacts our lives. Yeah. Would you agree it's also important to think about stewardship? I mean, we talk about, so we preach about the importance of stewarding our finances and stewarding our resources, but we've mm. also been given a mind, we've been given a body, and, and that, that's been a big shift in the way that I think about right. exercise and health and all of those things is, I think, to... Yes, there are physical health benefits. I also think that there are theological implications and that this is something that I have been given as a, if everything I have has come from the hand of God, then that includes every facet of, of who I am. And I think that we're very quick as people in ministry to think, you know, all that matters is that I steward my giftedness well and my time well. And we don't always think about, well, I, I need to steward my health and mentally, yep. emotionally. Do you, do you agree with that? Thinking about the idea of stewardship is important. I think that's a great way of looking at it. And again, I think it's a great balancing force. And, you know, this is part of our, our battle in all of this is yeah. trying to find the, the two forces yeah. that balance our lives. Yeah. Uh, on the one hand, wanting to be spent for the Lord. On the other hand, wanting to be, as you put it there, a good steward of your body. Mm-hmm. And I think the way to get that balance is theology. Yeah. In one of the chapters, I talk about a body theology. and I think it's 1 Corinthians 6. Yeah. But it talks about you know our bodies are members of Christ, not just our spirits. Our bodies are members of Christ. Right. Our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Our bodies have been bought with a price. 
therefore says Paul, glorify God in your bodies. Yeah, that's good. And I think as we get that theology into the pores of our souls, it will help us, as you put it there, yeah. steward our bodies yeah. and our minds for, for God's glory. Yeah. You mentioned how some of the things that we do when we're young can have implications and consequences even decades down the road. So when you think about you know young pastors right now coming up in their 20s, even millennials who are beginning to think about and sense a call to ministry, what are some of the specific things that you would really tell them to be thinking about? I think some real basics, um, rest, uh, meaning sleep. Um, usually for men, it's a minimum of seven hours a night. Mm-hmm. Um, you go down to six hours a night. In the course of a week, you're losing one full night's sleep. Yeah. And some of the consequences of that I outline in my book are just horrendous. Yeah. Um, a Sabbath, a day off a week, uh, again... You think, oh, but I can accomplish much more if I work seven days a week. Yeah. And, but that's not how God has made us. Right. Uh, all we do is we end up spreading ourselves more thinly over seven days, or else um, we we actually lose our health, and God makes us take a Sabbath. That's it right. It might be a month. So I think sleep, Sabbath. The other area, I think, to get really under control is social media, digital technology. Our brains were not made to be fried every second of every day with, you know, continual stimulation. Yeah. So that we need to learn how to be quiet, be disconnected, let our brains have downtime, even just standing in a line, sitting at the traffic stop. I think also the area of identity, who am I, mm-hmm. is, is the second most important question in the world after who is God. Yeah. I think to try and get away from defining ourselves, from I viewing our identity from the perspective of what I do yeah, and, and to get back to a biblical sense of identity, which I try to rebuild in one of the chapters. That to me was really, I, I suppose, the deepest work that God did in my soul, helping me to re... Really, I'd let my identity be stolen by ministry. Mm-hmm. And it was what God did for me was help me rebuild my sense of identity, independent really of being a minister of the gospel. Hmm. That's good. Uh, you have some numbers in the book. Um, you say that some 225, this is mind blowing, some 225 million workdays are lost every year in the US due to stress. That's nearly a million people not working every workday. Burnout is responsible for 20% of pastors' resignations. So there's a large number of pastors, I would venture a guess, that neglect professional biblical counseling or therapy of some kind. And I wonder if you could, as you've, I know for a fact that you've talked to a number of pastors, um, why do you think pastors are prone to neglect getting help? Is it scheduling? Is it embarrassment and shame? Is it... I mean, what is it that you think causes it to be maybe uniquely difficult for pastors to seek help? Yeah, well, Ryan, I mean, maybe you can help us answer this as well. Um, I I think the Superman complex is there. Mm -hmm. We're somehow, we think that we should be above this because we are a helper of other broken people, that we cannot ourselves be broken. Whereas I think the biblical pattern is, 
the most helpful people are broken people. Yeah. People who have come to understand their weakness, people who have failed, uh, people who have, who have not met even their own expectations far less others. And so I think that's one area, the Superman complex. I think there's, there's fear, yeah. especially in that area of depression, anxiety, that there's so much still, there's so much stigma and yep. um, that pastors think, you know, if, if my elders, my congregation hear that I'm, I'm seeing somebody for anxiety or depression, then, you know, I can't, I'm, I'll be thrown out the ministry. Yeah. And I, I think a pastors have a big role to play here in being vulnerable, being open, being honest. And the men that I know who have gone through this and who have been most open with their congregation have multiplied their usefulness. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, not, not, not minimized it. Yeah. And opportunities for ministry have opened up that they would never have expected. Yeah. And I think that's what I would encourage men just to, you know, one of my hopes is that men will get together with their elders and, and, and just be really open and vulnerable as they, you know, study this book and, and use it to, to, to build really deep relationships and beneficial accountability. Yeah. I, I could definitely see one of the fears or insecurities pastors would have would be uh, if I have to get help, that somehow that's an admission that I don't believe the things that I preach or right. that I don't. Right. And, um, and, and the truth is there's probably some, some part of that that's actually true. You know, we right. don't, we don't believe to the fullest right. extent, everything that we need to believe and need to continue to wrestle with that. But I do think there's something so important about that as a humble admission that I need help too. And I don't have it all together. And I think it's important to, for people who are not pastors and listening that are just a part of churches, if they're, whether they're elders or they are to create an environment in our churches where one of the things I love about the village church where Matt Chandler's the pastor, and I've used this phrase for years hearing him say it is that they say over and over, it's okay to not be okay. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think that's just a really gospel informed statement. And I think it's important to have cultures where we don't have to be okay all of the time, because if we have to be okay all of the time, then we are going to hide because we are not okay all of the time. And, and yep. so it's a problem to cause people to hide. Yeah. And it's so unbiblical. You've yeah. got the apostle Paul himself who said, I glory in my weaknesses. Yeah, that's good. And he talked about, I comfort others with the comfort with which I've been comforted yep. from God. Yeah. And it's almost like, it's not that weakness and frailty and accepting limitations is a disqualifier, but rather a qualifier that's for right. ministry. Yeah, that's good. Very good. Well, this book was written, you were very intentional about talking about how this was written for men. And obviously women will struggle with burnout and depression, uh, just like men do. So maybe talk just a little bit about why you chose to start with the angle of, of men in particular. And, and I believe yep. you're working on a project that would include women with your wife. Is that right? That's right, Ryan. So when Justin Taylor asked me to write it, he asked me initially to write for pastors, Uh church leaders. But I felt that men in general I experienced were were going through the same things, not just pastors and and ministry leaders. So we agreed, okay, let's write one for men, but with a focus on pastors. And and then as, as I was going through the writing process, I began to see, you know, Women need to hear this too, but yeah. in a different way. 
it's not there's overlap, but it's not duplication. Yeah. And so we talked about that, and we decided, yeah, that I would write one with Shona. Shona's gone through her own time. She's suffered with depression, especially around the birth of our fourth child. Mm-hmm. And um, so we decided, okay, let's open up about this. Let's let's tell her story and use it as a vehicle for uh, helping women to talk about these things, face these things. And the structure of the two books are very similar, okay. um, but the story is different. Some of the causes and cures are a bit different, and it's just got that feminine touch. You know, men are bullet points, and yeah. women are, are are more stories. So yeah. hopefully, it'll yeah. it'll suit the different markets. Yeah, I think there's probably a really good possibility that someone is listening to our conversation who um, maybe is a pastor, probably is a pastor if they're listening to my podcast. Um, but let's um, let's assume that they're they're really on the brink of they're they're identifying with a lot of what you're talking about. And maybe do have though maybe nobody else knows they in their own heart and mind know i'm I'm either in the brink of of burning out on the brink of burning out I've crossed that line I'm at my end I don't know what to do so outside of picking up your book, which I would really highly recommend, what do you say to someone that's at that point like so it's like a triage type thing yeah like what 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 would be your immediate here here's the one, two, three things that you should do immediately. Sure. I think the first thing is to be really honest. Most men have been in denial for a long time. There have been some warning signs, but they've ignored them. That's they've good. You know, tried to hide them. Yep. They've compensated in other ways. So I think the first step is just to be really honest with oneself before God, put it all out on the table and say, you know, this is me physically, mentally, emotionally, morally, spiritually, relationally, vocationally. Go through all these areas and just really get build a picture. Face yourself with the the, the whole picture of reality concerning yourself. Um, and then secondly, to be holistic about it. No, don't just focus on I can't pray. Don't just focus on you know backache or whatever. Look at the whole person, mm-hmm. the body, the mind, the emotions, and so on. And the third thing is to to get help. You have to reach out. I think the first port of call should be ideally your wife. Mm-hmm. Talk these things through. Get her more objective view. She may be seeing more than you. If she isn't seeing what you're seeing, she should know what you are feeling. And then I think the harder step is to reach beyond that safe circle to either um, a trusted elder, a fellow pastor, or if there's no one like that in your life that you can really be honest with, I think, you you know, go to a medical doctor. Mm -hmm. But that's, you know... you need more than medical help. Yeah. You can, a medical doctor will help you, but I think you've got to get to that point where you can bring this to a trusted Christian man with some maturity who is going to walk through this with you. And it's not going to be quick. Yeah. If you're at that point, it's taken years to get there. It's going to take three to six months before you really mm-hmm. begin to feel whole again. And, and then, you know, Keeping these patterns in place, uh, you need to keep the accountability and counseling in yeah, place too. That's good. And you do have some really great tools for evaluation, I think, to help. Um, I think that if, if men honestly read through some of these lists that you have, some of the warning signs, it removes the ability to live in denial any longer. Right. So right. that was very, very helpful. Well, maybe just lastly, what's your, what's your big hope for how God will use this book? 
Well, I have two hopes, and I'm seeing one of them is being fulfilled. Almost every day I get an email from a pastor, usually, uh-huh. uh, who has read the book. They're in a small congregation or a big congregation. There's quite a range. And it's been, a, you know, the words used are often, it's been a lifesaver. Yeah. Um, I've, I've, I've brought this to my elders, and, you know, we're, we're going to take some steps. So I just love it when, you know, God... M- gets the book in connection with real need in a, in a pastor's life. and Because I know that it's not only he that's going to benefit, it's going to be his whole congregation and family as well. Um, and the second thing I, I have a hope for is groups of men getting together. And I really do want the book to be studied in men's groups to help them open up to mm-hmm. one another and be more transparent, be more, more vulnerable and because I believe that's the way to true male friendship, which is so lacking yeah. in, in churches and especially amongst pastors. That's good. Are you guys developing a discussion guide for this or is that already available somewhere? Um, I'm actually, I'm, I'm working on one just now. I'm okay. probably about three quarters of the way through it. Yeah. Hopefully in the next month or so, I'll have that available on my blog. Oh, okay, great. That'll be a great resource as well. And, and yep. even if people don't want to wait for that to just be able to do discussion around the topic yep. of the book, I think would be super helpful. Yep. Well, David, you've been a great blessing to me. And uh, I think you've helped me to grow in my own self-awareness and my own health. And uh, this is, book is a massive gift to many. And so thank you so much for first being honest. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a big, you're asking men to have the courage to be honest with one other person. You wrote, wrote, wrote a book that Lord willing thousands will read and you're being honest with all of them. And that's a great <laughs> gift. So thank you for your vulnerability and humility to be willing to do that. And for the massive amount of investment that I know goes into writing a project like this. Thank you so much, Ryan. It doesn't come easy to a Scot, but now that I'm American, I can let it all hang out. You know? <laughs> That's right. It's so much easier now. Well, congratulations on becoming an America. You picked a weird time to join our tribe. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's always a good time to be an American. That's right. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Ryan. God bless. Well, my thanks to David Murray for coming on in the room again. Uh, Scott, what were some of the highlights for you? Uh, he talked about one of the reasons for burnout and just the, um, the amount of opportunity that exists today. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think both opportunity to do things mm-hmm. uh, ministry-wise, but then also the opportunity <clears throat> just to know what's going on and mm-hmm. to know what you're not doing yeah. uh, via social media and, and stuff like that. And... Um, it actually made me think of, I just listened to a, a podcast with the founder of Tom's uh-huh. and he was talking about how um, he was just so shocked as he would go and visit these villages and meet people with next to nothing um, and just how happy they were. And essentially right. what they like, what they were responsible for was having enough like food and water mm-hmm. to survive. And that was about it. Yeah. And, uh, and just how, um, just how happy they were. And mm-hmm. it made me think of that because uh, I think you or, or he might have said it like, it's just, it's just not enough today to just pastor your church. Right. And I think that that is true, um, but also unfortunate. Yeah. He talked about, I, th- I think I remember the first time that we talked a couple of years ago, I don't remember exactly what the question was that prompted this, but I remember he talked about how he's careful about how much news 
even he yeah. consumes because I mean, one of the things that could for sure lead a caring, empathetic person to despair is just seeing all the, I think his point was that the world is probably not actually getting worse yeah. as much like this. The world's always been broken. Like read the Bible. Yeah. Um, but our awareness of how much brokenness there in the, in there is in the world is exponentially higher because totally. of 24 hour news feeds and, and all of that. So, but yeah, I think that, I think the pressure on that thing we talked about of opportunity is a really crushing one. I was talking to another pastor friend about that the other day because he's considering writing a book. And I was like, well, for sure, if you've got like this message that God's put in you that you feel compelled, you yeah. have to get it out. Great. But sure. if there's something about validating your ministry by saying, well, geez, I've only planted and now I'm pastoring a church. Yeah. I must have to do more. That's just so dumb. It hurts my soul. Yeah. But I for sure felt that. Sure. It's and easy to. It's terrible. Yeah. Um, he also talked about, um, you guys talked about like, so how do we balance this idea of limited time? Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to make an impact with our lives. Mm-hmm. We certainly want to pour ourselves out for the gospel, mm-hmm. for the glory of God. Um, and we also, you have to pace yourself yeah. and you also have to understand that, um, you know, you're a finite creature mm-hmm. who can only do so much. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, I think that, uh, his answer was doing whatever we do out of a motivation of gratefulness, yeah. the gratefulness of grace. Yeah. And I think that I so often get that wrong yeah. and, um, and, and do things out of the motivation of so many other reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I thought it was helpful just how talked about like, that's really how, how you do things. And I think you do things in a way then too, that where you don't necessarily have expectations. Yeah. And, and so even like you're saying, writing a book, so you do that mm-hmm. out of a place of, this is just overflowing out of me. Like right. I, I need to get this out here. I don't, you know, don't expect the New York times to call a week after it's, you know, published if it is to congratulate me on being on the right. list, but it's, Hey, I just, I just want to get this out and that's right. my expectation. Yeah. And I'm so grateful that the Lord has given this to me and allowed me to do, you know, yeah. a, I, kind I of ministering keeping, from that place. Keeping somewhere front and center in our minds, the idea that we're called to be good stewards of everything entrusted to us is yeah. very, very important. Oftentimes we sort of get really laser focused on one or two things, one or two facets of our lives. And we're super good stewards of those two things. So if it's our job, then we take our job and we just pour ourselves out on the altar of ministry, but maybe neglect our own souls, our own families, you know, or it's the family and yeah. I'm just going to be amazing with my family, but I'm not going to participate in the local church and I'm not going to be very uh, faithful in my job. Like yeah. that would be a problem as well. We're called to be good stewards of everything that God's entrusted to us. And that's hard. And you have to do a lot more, um, be a lot more intentional sure. about how you spend time and what you do. But I do believe that we're going to give an account for our stewardship of everything, yeah. not just our ministries. And the stewardship of, when you look at it like that, the stewardship of everything leads to appropriate balance mm-hmm. so that you're not working you know, 100 hours a week, not seeing your family, not taking care of your health, not sleeping. You yeah. know, um, but when you look at, I get a steward at all, then... I think that's that's a great place for balance, like to attain balance. Yeah. I think sometimes I've just tried to go for balance and it hasn't had a great root in which mm-hmm. it's come out of. And so And it's easy to baptize that in the urgency of the mission 
that totally. we have. Like eternity hangs in the balance and this matters more than anything else. And so it's worth neglecting all these other things yeah. in order to get this one thing done. And um, I don't know. I just think about it a little bit more broadly than that. Yeah, that's good. But yeah, I thought it was a great episode and always appreciate um, him and, and the the perspective that he brings and how he, I mean, he does a great job of being solid, you know, as it comes to theology and God's word, but also bringing a perspective from the counseling Mm -hmm. world and, uh, and does a great job handling all that. He does. Uh, so our thanks again to David Murray for coming on. As always, you can connect with us on social media. Um, I'm at Ryan Hughley and Scott is at Scott Holthouse. Yep. That's good. You didn't interrupt me rudely. I didn't. I feel like we've had enough for one episode. Yeah. Worn out. Yeah, a little bit. Wore your own self out with your rudeness. Yeah, you'd be surprised how exhausting interruption can be. (laughs) No, actually, I wouldn't be. (laughs) All right, thanks for listening. 